We are not in the fur shed. We're actually up at camp, uh, camp up in the woods of northern Maine. And this is episode 40 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for tuning in, and, and thanks for being here. I have a special guest slash co-host with me. Uh, his name is a young man named Noah Frost. He's a trapper up here in northern Maine. How are you doing, Noah? Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> Very good. So the sponsor of the Trapping Day podcast is Cots Brothers Lures. You know who they are, Noah? I don't. I've heard the name. All right. Well, Cots Brothers Lures, they're a couple of guys that prob- they're about my age. They are in Savannah, Illinois, and they have a trapping supply company. So these guys, you think, well, you know, they're young, they're young guys. They don't have a lot of experience. It, people always told me if I don't have enough gray hair or, or you know, they don't really pay much attention to what you have to say. Well, these guys are young, but that's an advantage in the online trapping supply business, right? right. Uh, they, do, they do a lot of things uh, sort of the way that you and I do business, okay? They're adaptable. They try different things. They got a really good online presence. And they have been trapping since they were just about out of diapers. So, you know, grew up in a trapping family and have, have uh, way more experience than we have trapping and more experience than a lot of the old timers have trapping. So you think about it, you start trapping when you're five, six years old and you're 35, 36, you already got three decades of trapping experience. Okay. So anyway, if you guys have a chance, check those guys out, K-A-A-T-Z, bros, B-R-O-S, dot com. They get a good website. One thing that I have learned as I'm using the website is there's a search function there and if you get on that search bar just click on the search bar and and type in whatever you want to look for because sometimes it's a pain in the butt online when you're ordering supplies to go through and scroll through the different categories and everything you want to get 330s go and click on the search bar 330 body grip boom they show up and you click on the thing and you go ahead and order it excellent service uh, actually had a guy that just heard the heard from two episodes heard the ad and ordered from Cox Brothers and uh, let me know the he got he got stuff right away it was a really good experience so he said service was great let, let those guys know so anyway thank you guys for sponsoring the podcast and let's move on to the show tonight so we are at camp in the woods of northern Maine uh, as far north as I live, uh, it's hard to believe you get much further north, but you can, and we are. Um, we're actually, I'm actually looking out the window right now at Canada. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful place. We're, we're actually up here working, and it's after supper, and we're kind of just chilling out, and we felt like talking trapping. So I've got a guy with me here that uh, is, is sort of the next generation of trappers, and we just so happen to be dead smack in the center of his trap line. So, Noah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into trapping? Well, uh, I got into trapping about probably four years ago, maybe maybe five, the interest was sparked. Um, I have a buddy I went to school with. His grandfather's a big trapper up here in northern Maine. And uh, so a few of us, a few of my friends got together and we signed up for a trapper safety course. We got that out of the way and and uh, we were ambitious, yeah, young bucks, <laughs> ambitious. So uh, 
we bought our traps, and at, at the time we were setting the ling and pole sets. So what what <clears throat> what species were you targeting? Uh, we're targeting martin, martin okay. and fisher. So I think that's interesting for a lot of people because, it, interestingly enough, growing up here, when I started trapping, I was a little older than you, just by a few years, and I started trapping martin. That was my first species. First thing I caught was a martin. And most people around the country, their first species is usually a muskrat or a skunk. Yeah. Um, people don't think about that because, you know, we, growing up in this, this area, it's like, oh, you know, this is what we have. If you actually look on a map of the United States and see where martin populations are, it's a very small portion yeah. of the U.S. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting for folks. So you got started and your, your, your goal was we're going to go martin trapping. Yeah, basically. We didn't have any any number that we wanted. We were just looking to have some fun and, and uh, catch some fur. So our first year, was it was pretty good. We started out with 12 traps, and uh, we ended up with seven or eight martin on the year. Seven or eight martin and 12 traps. Just just the first year. <laughs> Got kind of spoiled, actually. Yeah, that that is uh, pretty amazing, I think. And I, I always joke about it because I... I worked with Noah's dad, and he was talking about. Well, that's just, that's another thing to talk about is is your dad started asking about trapping, and it was kind of like you were asking him, right? Because you wanted to learn how to trap, yeah. And you kind of got him into trapping. Yeah, he was the enabler for sure. <laughs> he made it happen. <laughs> so, did you guys have? Was there a course already offered? Was yes. It like Presque Isle or Caribou? Yeah, it was in Presque Isle fishing. Yeah. Were there a lot of people there? A uh, good number. It had to have been 10 or 12 yep. new trappers. And did you, it's like, it's about a 10 hour course, right? Yeah, two days. It's, it's one night and then a Saturday. We go out and see some sets and they show us how to set traps. Yeah. <clears throat> so for you, when you started, you got into trapping a few years ago. It, if you guys aren't familiar with where we're at in Maine, we have issues with Canada lynx being endangered species under the Federal Endangered Species Act, and we have a very complex set of trapping regulations in order to deal with the lynx. Probably the most complicated trapping regulations in the country. I, I've seen a lot of different state regs, and this is pretty tough. So for you guys, being you're in high school, right? Yeah. And you're young, and you're trying to, you want to trap, and you had a lot of stuff to try to figure out. Yeah, a lot of hoops to jump through. We had to... A lot of reading, a lot of questions that had to be answered. We asked, we asked a lot of questions to, to old trappers and even some wardens that Dad works with. And uh, yeah, at the time it was the lean and pull set. So you had, you could set your trap, no in a tree, no larger than four inches, and at, at no less of an angle than 45. 45 degree angle. And yeah. it had to be greater than four feet off the ground. So you'd have to find a small enough tree with no larger trees around it. Yeah, that was another thing. So, yeah. so someone did that, and they caught a lynx because they had like a, they had a big cedar tree right next to this little pole. Yeah. And so the pole technically was legal, but the lynx just climbed up the cedar yeah. tree. And at that time, you guys up in Alaska, you know what it's like when you have boom and bust populations of Canada lynx. When the lynx populations are high and there's no food, which is where we were at at yeah. that time, yeah. They they'll go they'll do anything to find something to eat. 
and these lynx were just literally they were finding ways to kill themselves in these traps and just so so this lynx climbed up a cedar tree and it reached over from the cedar tree over to this little pole that had a piece of bait on it and it stuck its hand if I remember right it stuck its paw through that and got caught in a 120 either 110 or I think it was a 120 body grip trap and it, it ended up dying it it's just it was a, kind of seemed like a freak thing but what it did was it triggered the Endangered Species Act and all of a sudden they shut down trapping um, for oh, I can't remember if that was the first or second link there were two in a row that were caught and it, it's just like all of a sudden we had this emergency regulation that went into place where in addition to the regulations that Noah just mentioned all those things had to happen and that trap had to be at least four feet away from any tree that was more than four inches in diameter. So then you get yourself going out and, and you've got your surveying equipment. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> You're looking for good marten habitat, but you can't find trees that are greater than four inches. So it made it really hard. So you got you, you went through the course, you learned a lot from the course. And so I remember when I, I took the course, Basically, we and I have I have a guy. Just I'm just thinking back, so I figure I'd go over this. There was a guy from Presque Isle that was a safety coordinator at the time, the hunter safety coordinator, and I was in Winterville, which is a little tiny town of about 200 people, and almost nobody trapped there. Well, I wanted to trap in the worst way, and I had a guy that was teaching me, moved next door to me, and he he was a trapper, and he was teaching me how to do it and everything. The only thing that was missing was the course. We're in a tiny remote town in northern Maine, isolated from everybody. So how am I going to get to a course? There wasn't even a course in Interstate County that was being offered at the time, and it was close to trapping season. It was right right there. So I called the guy, and I, you know, I, I don't know, I was 16, I guess, maybe 16 or 17. And I said, I really, you know, I want to I trap. I, there's no course near. What? is there anything we can do? And he said, you know, do you have anybody else? So my friend, his dad was a trapper, and I think he had his, he might have had his junior license. I can't remember how that worked. But he he wanted to take the course. He needed to take the course. And then my other buddy who I, he, this is a thing that I've noticed about trapping, and you noticed it too, because your brothers and your dad got involved, is it's contagious. When you start talking trapping, and people that are outdoors, people in their hunt and everything, and they don't think anything about trapping. When you start talking trapping with them, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of guys that want to go out trapping. Yeah. It, it's the coolest thing. So my best buddy growing up, he wanted to trap too. So there was three of us. And that guy, to his credit, I'll be eternally thankful and grateful to that guy. He drove over on a Sunday morning, and he taught us a trapper safety course all day long. So we could get it. So we could mail in our trapping license applications on Monday. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, that's a long way of getting to the point. Is I wanted to ask you, you get the course and you learn stuff from the course, but there's still a big gap between the course and setting your first oh, trap. Sure. So how'd you bridge that gap? YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had Cole in the last episode, and we were talking about Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend. But one of the things that we mentioned, I'm going to have him on for a future episode, 
is how this younger generation is learning to trap on YouTube. Yeah. So, so tell sure. me about that a little more. Uh, I didn't really know what to look at. I was just searching, you know, YouTube. You can get going and, and go all night long. So uh, I watched all, all sorts of videos from muskrat to martin to, you know, bobcat, dog. And I just, I kind of figured it out. And by the time trapping season rolled around, I was basically winging it. You know, setting bait, putting lure, hoping for the best. And <laughs> I think I got the best. How did, pretty well. Yeah, how did you know? Did you scout? How did you know it was martin habitat that well, you were setting in? <clears throat> I learned online that... You know, you want a thick, thick growth over, you know, cover overhead. And um, so that's basically what I looked for. I looked for uh, for a lot of softwood, heavy softwood dense. And, um, yeah, I just picked a road and started setting every quarter mile or so. And yeah, because Martin, it's, people don't often realize that Martin don't leave a lot of sign. No. And when our trapping season starts, we don't have snow on the ground most years. You know, it's the first of November, and usually you don't get that, you know, snow that stays for good tracking until about the 10th or 15th of November. Right? And we we can consistently count on Thanksgiving we're we're going to have tracking snow almost yeah. every year. Um, but a preseason, there's not much you can do. So yeah, that's that's what I do, and I've been very frustrated. I trapped that that year. That first year you trapped, I think I was I was back here trapping, and I didn't do very well Martin trapping. I went into a completely new area. I knew what I was doing. I caught him before, yeah. um, and I I did terrible. But you guys, you did incredibly well. And I remember joking with you like, uh, "You're ruined." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like the kid that uh, the first year hunting shoots a Boone and Crockett. Yeah, exactly. Buck, you know. Yeah. So so, tell me. So you set. A dozen or fifteen? A dozen. And were you by yourself? Or were you? My father. Okay. So you he guys had to pick up, and uh, we we did it together. And and you yeah you weren't driving at the time. No. Right? no. So you didn't have a driver's license. So your dad had to be the enabler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so you you didn't that was pre-box. Because see for you guys that aren't familiar with our regulations, we have to have a lynx exclusion device now to trap Martin up here uh, to use any body grip traps on land and uh, that has that went in three years ago so so this was the year before the box so you were under the leaning pole so you're basically setting a 120 on a tree on a right. pole right and and Four feet off the ground so I mean I didn't have much hope, really. It didn't look like Martin would want to climb a tree like that. <laughs> yeah. I guess you just hope that they're hungry enough. And uh, they worked all right. I prefer these exclusion devices that we have now over the lean and pole set. Now, do you like them because you can set them on the ground? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. And so you set a dozen sets. Yep. And what would you use for bait? Uh, I want to say it's just... Deer scraps. We went to the butcher. I went to a butcher and got some scraps. Um, yeah, just whatever red meat we could find. The stinkier, the better. Yep. And lure? Skunk. Just skunk. Straight skunk essence. Skunk yeah. essence. Yeah. We didn't. I mean, we hadn't <clears throat> experimented with any other lures. We just got generic skunk. Yeah. 
And Jerry probably guided you along the the old timer that yeah oh yeah your yeah. friend's dad. I actually rode along with him one day when he tended his line, so I, I learned a lot from him. So you did the ride along before you started trapping? Yes, like a couple of years before. Oh, okay. so I had a little bit of knowledge and I knew I wanted to do it. It's just a matter of you know it's a lot of work getting into it, putting the pieces together. Right now, what people don't know is it's not like walking out the backyard. Like, I was lucky. I was in Martin Habitat when I started, and I was basically just right out the backyard, and I could set the traps. You're a little ways from your trap line, aren't you? A little you? ways, yeah. Two hours, two hours plus. So so you guys you guys were, were driving two hours before you set your first trap, at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, in, the, in the past few years since I've had my license, I, it's a five-day check. We're in an unorganized township here, so five-day check. And I'd check them on the weekend, skip school Wednesday, drive up alone, maybe deer hunt in the morning, deer hunt during the day, check my trap line, and go to school Thursday and come back up that weekend. <laughs> you must have had an enabler to let you yeah. school <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I got some notes written. I'll tell you what, you can't, uh, you can't get those, those memories, man, that's, that's pretty valuable. I, I can't remember what I learned in school in November 15 years ago. But I can tell you the one day I skipped school and shot a big buck. That's right. I'll never forget that. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool that you're able to do that. Yeah. Um, so so you set you set those dozen traps, and were you five days before you checked them, or you were like you were like oh, twelve like, hours later and you're yeah, walking there trying? Yeah, basically what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and we had one. We had one within a, I don't want to say a day or two in Martin. How what was it like going up to that first? Oh, I'll never forget it. Never forget, it was in a, a thick, thick stand of spruce. It was actually a little bit cut over, and uh, we had a we had a box. How far from where we're sitting right now? Uh, not even a mile. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, first, Martin, not even cool. a mile away right now. So we walked in, and and we're probably about ten. We're as the crow flies, we're like eleven, twelve miles from the nearest household. Yeah. So we're in, we're deep. We're in the woods. So I was eager, obviously, to check my traps. And every time you check, you're eager because you never know what you're going to get. And uh, I still remember that thing hanging from the tree, from the pole. Just It was a small marten, but it was awesome. It's an awesome feeling pulling out of the trap. But, you know, I'll never forget it. And I was hooked. And that, from that day on, I'll, I'll never not be a trapper. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you go to school and you get a nice job and you move away yeah. and you get married and you and you get kids and you're busy with all stuff, you always, make it happen. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Um, the, the one of the things the guys that are really reminiscent of the old days uh, talk. I've heard it mentioned a little bit when. when never see them hanging from trees anymore because yeah. we get to use those boxes yeah. and, and seeing those martin hanging from the tree i i remember seeing it it's just the it's the coolest thing it is walking up to it just sometimes they get the bait stuck in their mouth still and it's pretty awesome yeah when they when their mouth is open like getting ready to bite onto the bait and their yeah. teeth are you can see their 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 jaws and their teeth and yeah that's the coolest thing yeah awesome. so take us through that was your first one yeah how about the rest of the season? Uh, we did pretty well. I, I mean, we got a Martin almost every time we checked. Yeah. 
So we always had something to look forward to. It wasn't like you were checking traps and you weren't catching anything. Not like my trap range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good year. I don't think we didn't fully know how good we had it that year. We didn't really know because we hadn't had it bad yet. And you didn't – I don't think you had it bad until this past season. Right. Is that right? We've done pretty well. Uh, the years following, and, and last year, that was a tough year. I think it was tough for everyone. It, it, was, it was a bad trapping season. But. So so you caught quite a lot of mutton. Yeah. And how many did you say you got in those sets? Oh, it was seven or eight. I don't remember exactly. And did you, when you set those, did you move those around, or did they stay nope. in those locations? They stayed right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, how... How long did you trap? Because our season goes two months, but most people don't go much past the first month. Yeah. So we set opening, which is November 1st, like you had said. And we come out and deer hunt around here the last week in November. So we had our traps pulled by the end of November. Yeah. So it was, it was one month of trapping. Yeah. So let's jump from year one. The first Martin hanging from the tree. Yeah. Learned, got the trapper education course. You got the line set up. I remember we're sit, I was in this camp we're sitting in right now, and I was working up here in 2004. So that was quite a while back. That was yeah. before all this wood got cut. That this was pretty mature forest. Yeah. It was Martin country. And I remember sitting on that off that porch, sitting down in a chair, and a Martin came up into the yard. And there was this tree stump from a tree that had just been cut when they cleared the camp yeah. lot. Yeah. And this Martin just walked up, stood on that tree stump and looked at me for a little while, turned and ran away. And that was when I was like just getting going in Martin trapping. Yeah. Of course, that was in May. But I, I thought that was the coolest thing. And I, I, saw, I think I saw one or two other Martin during the course of that spring. But it, it was just like when you, when you guys decided to trap up here, it hadn't been trapped hard right. for a long time, yeah. and there was the, the wood. By the time you got going, the you know a lot of the wood had been cut, but it's still good Martin yeah. country. Yeah. So it was it was really neat to just hear you talking about trapping. All of a sudden, you get in here and boom. Yeah. Hammering them. Hammering them. Yeah. So so let's go from that year one to year two. Um, maybe talk about what you learned and what you used after what you learned in year one and how you how you changed uh, the number of traps, how you, where you operated, how you ran your line. Now, was that the, the transition into the exclusions? I believe it was. So, yeah, you, so you, were four, you started four years ago. Yeah. And so your second year would have been three years ago would have been the first year. So when you were trapping, uh, that was when the second lynx was caught. And we, uh, if you guys want to go back to Trapping Today podcast, I believe it's episode six and seven. I did a two podcast series, sort of mini series on the Canada Lynx issue in Maine. And we went over the background on the legal issues and how that's affected trappers in Maine. But if you, if you did listen to that, you remember it. We, the state of Maine signed kind of an agreement with the federal government, with the Fish and Wildlife Service. The Fish and Wildlife Service issued an incidental take permit to the state of Maine. And basically what that take permit said was Maine 
will change their regulations on trappers to make sure they take every precaution they can to prevent catching a lynx. If a lynx is caught, the feds were not going to go ahead and sue the state of Maine because they had that permit in hand. Otherwise, if the state said, believe you, we're not going to go with it, the, the feds could have a lawsuit against the state. You're killing an endangered species because you're authorizing this trapping program. So Maine agreed to that. It took like five or six years to do something that probably you and I could have hammered out an agreement in three days. Yeah. It took, I think it was six years, something like that. We came to an agreement, and what the agreement said was that the incidental take, or like an accidentally caught lynx, would total three lynx over the period of 15 years. <laughs> well, we killed two in like the first month of the first year. Yeah. Again, we have more lynx than we know what to do with. We, we can trap bobcats. We can kill bobcats and hunt them. I've, I haven't seen a bobcat. No, there's I more lynx than bobcats. We see lynx everywhere. You know, we spend a lot of time in these woods roads. Yeah. And, um, going back, I'm going to back up here just a second because i got to mention something. When Cole and I were on the podcast episode last week, we talked about Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend, and Neil had Randy Cross, the bear biologist, uh, in, in one of the demos, Randy talked about, he, he went through the bear snaring. It was actually a pretty neat yeah. uh, demo he did. But before, as he was introducing Randy, he started telling, asking the guys in the audience. There's a big audience there under a tent. There's benches there, and everybody's sitting around. And Neil said, all right, I got a question. He says, you guys are trappers. You spend a lot of time in the woods. I want to know, how many foxes have you seen in the woods? And there's old-timer, gray-haired, uh, hundreds of foxes. How many coyotes have you seen in the woods? Oh, hundreds, thousands of coyotes. And he says, how many biologists have you seen in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm a fish biologist. I'm sitting here just not, not opening my mouth and just watching this all. <laughs> oh, no biologists. They never get out in the woods. So I, I kind of I wanted to make a comment in the last episode that um, you do see us out in the woods quite a bit. Yeah, um, you see us out in the woods more than more than you see most people. <laughs> so, um, both on the job and off the job. Um, and now you're going to have to help me retrace my steps of what I was talking about there. Uh, uh, the, the number of links. So we see links all the time. They're very they're very common. And it just so happened that when they signed that incidental take permit, it was at a peak of the links population. The snowshoe hare or rabbit population was down, there wasn't much food available, and the lynx were doing everything to try to keep from starving to death. So they were, they were finding ways to get into traps that you, when you couldn't imagine. Yeah. Two, two found their way into traps by miracle in that first month of the first year when that permit was signed. Trapping season was shut down. I, I don't rem I can't tell you the year right now. It was either three years ago or four. Um, but I do remember that I was running traps that morning when the press release came out, and I actually saw had a set of lynx tracks on the base of one of my poles that morning. Oh, I was so I was nervous. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just it walked up. It smelled obviously smelled the lure. Yeah. And it circled the pole and just walked away. Yeah. But uh, when I got out of the woods. I got that message and I had to go back and pull my traps. 
It was frustrating. Yeah. It was very frustrating. So they shut down the they shut down the season, and they had to regroup. That that would have been the year that you trapped. You had already probably pulled yeah. the traps by then. Yeah, it didn't affect us. So what, they shut the season down, and then they had to sit down and hammer something out that would go above and beyond this 45-degree angle, 4-inch pole, 4 feet off the ground, 4 feet from any other 4-inch diameter pole. They had to figure something out that was foolproof. And the, the past couple of years, they had been researching and using these exclusion devices. I think one of the guys at the Maine Trappers Association suggested some sort of a box with a certain sized opening that would prevent links from getting in but would allow Martin and Fisher to go through. Yeah. So they'd been testing these, and finally this added pressure required the state and the feds to get together and say, we need to make this happen. So they came out with rules that specified this links exclusion device. And they gave you a few different options, and, and I've talked about this before in, in a previous episode, on the dimensions and the types of exclusion devices you could use. But that's enough of me talking. Noah, why don't you tell us about how you went from setting on poles to going into building these boxes, getting them to spec, and changing, change your trap line. Oh, completely. Yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty discouraging, really, um, to have just gotten started and then basically have to start all over again the next year. It's, it was discouraging, and it was a lot of work, and it was expensive building those boxes. You had to buy plywood because we didn't want to use wire. And uh, we got some built. I don't remember exactly how many. I, I want to say it was it was 12 to 15 boxes that we got we got built. And um, I I didn't really want to use them at that point. I I didn't have much faith in them really because it didn't look like something would go in them. It was just a plywood box with a hole in it in your trap, but uh, over time they seem to have worked well. I don't think we've caught a lynx yet. No, 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 there hasn't been a third lynx caught, and it's been it's been a good three years yeah. with the boxes. I started with cages that first year because the wire was cheap, Right. Um, but I learned pretty quick. Yeah. <clears throat> I had a lot of problems with the cages. Uh, they were light and flimsy. The, like I had fishers trying to get in and like moving the cage around, setting off the trap. Uh, you had to brush them in with thick boughs, fur boughs, so that the animals knew where the opening was to the cage. All in all, it just wasn't a good deal. Yeah. So, so the box, I, I went to boxes too. And so you, you built the boxes, yeah. and see the advantage we had with the boxes is we weren't required to set them up in a little tree four feet off the ground anymore. We could set them right on the ground. The, the diameter of the boxes that Noah built, and correct me if I'm wrong, you went with all 120 style. Yes. So, so those had a 4 inch by 4 inch diameter hole or square, square opening. Square, yeah. And the trap had to be at least 18 inches back from the entrance of that opening. So there was no physical way that a lynx could get in there. there there's actually some trappers have argued that maybe that hole could be a little bit bigger because we're ex we are excluding a lot of fishers. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a lot of refusals on fishers. But the advantage, and I've mentioned this before, the energy it takes a martin to run up a small pole at a steep angle and get to the bait is a lot different than standing on the ground and just poking it through that hole. 
thinking it can go right through the box, just like a hollow log. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more natural, I think, than the lean and pole set. And uh, we've done we've done fairly well. So how'd you do that that first year with the boxes? First year, I believe, was an off year. We didn't we didn't do great. I think we got some something like we did with the first year, six or seven. You so you had a little a few more traps out, and yeah, about the same number of months. Right. Yeah. And to us, that was you know less. Now the year after was hammer a, time. Yeah, a different story. <laughs> we, uh, I had my license. Me and my dad kind of split up. So you drove line. and you had two lines, and, and I remember your dad was getting pretty excited about trapping by this time. Yeah, so he was going the old-fashioned way. He was walking his trap line. Yes, he, he was went, going a long distance go, from the truck. Yeah, up on a hill, and he'd walk down the hill, you know, through and set traps. So, uh, and I had mine in a line. I picked a new line and, and set that uh, via truck. You were a loop on the vehicle? Nope, this one wasn't. Okay, so you'd go like to dead ends and right, turn yeah. around and come back. Yeah, exactly, which is not as efficient. Cause but you can access, I do a lot of it, and I like that you can access areas where at the end of the road where if there's no other trapper at the end of that road, yeah. there's a lot of area around you that hasn't been trapped. That's right. Yeah. So we, we did very well that year. I think I ended up with, I set 15, I had 15 boxes built. And I, I ended up with 13 Martin. And Jeez. One That's or two pretty fishers. amazing. And, and was that the year you caught the big fisher? Yes. So yeah. tell us about that. <laughs> Set, uh, thick. None of these traps I, that I intend to catch fisher in, they were all 120s. I, want, I was going for Martin Fisher, a little more work, and uh, I was just getting started, so I wanted Martin. But I sat in a, a thick cedar swamp. And I'll, I'll always remember it because I walked up to the box and it was hidden. It was behind a tree. So when I walked around the tree, all I could see from the entrance of the hole was a big black <laughs> tail sticking out. <laughs> yep. and, and that fisher was stuffed. I mean, he stuffed himself in that box. And uh, it was, I'll never forget that. What do you weigh? Oh, I don't remember exactly. He, I remember he was big. He was. It was huge. I, I almost want to say it was 13 pounds. It was, it was 12, 12 or 13 yeah. pounds. Yeah, for sure. Because I caught one last year that was 11, and it was the same thing. He filled the box, and it was just tail. The tail was sticking out. That was 11 pounds, and I remember yours was, was bigger than yeah. that. Yeah. So that same swamp, I came back and checked it. It was probably a week later, you know, the following weekend. And I checked it again, and I had a Martin. Same trap. The following weekend, <laughs> I had sounds a like we got something going on here. You got a fisher, another the... fisher, a, a smaller female. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So you get two fisher and a martin in that trap. In the same, yeah, same swamp. Any weasels to throw in there? I, I got a weasel. <laughs> I got a weasel that same year in the same trap. So so there's a lot going on here, and we are in our area there. We, what we know is that Fisher and Martin don't really get along with each other. Right. Fisher are bigger. Fisher are more competitive. If a Fisher encounters a Martin, he'll kill it on sight if he can catch it. However, what we've learned, what I learned in wildlife, and you're getting ready to go to university, and yeah. you're going to learn this uh, in, in your wildlife classes, uh, Fisher are limited by snow depth. That's why as you get further north, you see fewer fishers. 
And when you do see fishers up this far up, they're usually in cedar swamps yeah. because they can get away from that snow. You know, they got the, the trees intercept a lot of the snow so they can kind of move around. Because yeah. they're bigger, they don't float on top of the snow as well as the martin do. So we got that sort of interplay between martin and fisher, and there's a little bit of overlap there. Now, it's still, you know, I've caught, last year I caught martin and fisher in the same, uh, at the same set location, and, and it happens. But I, I kind of talking with you guys when you're catching those animals, I'm like, Some, this is just weird. Something's going on. Well, come back the next spring, and I noticed you had already, you'd already seen this. There was a massive clear cut yeah. up, up above you guys, right? Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of timber harvest going on. And I kind of, just as kind of an outsider, just watching this all happen here, I'm wondering if there were a lot of animals that were up, up above you, above your camp where yeah. you're trapping that were displaced by this clear cut and this, all this timber harvest and kind of moved down into that cedar swamp and were traveling through there trying to find yeah. new habitat. New ranges, yeah. So, yeah, that very well could be. But talk about really good percentages again. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And, and did your dad have the same kind of percentages? On Better. His? He had, I think he started with 12 boxes and he was walking most of them, you know, he was well off roads and stuff. He was doing all right. I think he, he caught, you know, eight, nine, ten. And halfway through the season, he decided to, to pick them up. He'd had enough he was, to walk. He was tired of walking a couple yeah. of miles for each trap. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he he found a loop, and uh, he reset his line and more than doubled his catch. He ended up with 20, 21, 22 Martin, yeah. almost limited out. Yeah, yeah. we can keep 25 Martin and 10 Fisher here. So so that was one of the things that I, it's a, it's a, a personality thing, it's being a little bit lazy maybe. I have a hard time picking up my line. When I set a line out and I commit to it, I have a hard time picking that up and doing yeah. all the work and going to start a new line. I do too. And when I saw him do that, it was like I was just, I was still sitting on a line where I was hardly catching anything. Yeah. So it gave me a little motivation. It still didn't fix me. I'm still doing the same. I'm making the same mistakes. But um, this year I'm determined. I'm, I've been telling myself ahead of time, three weeks, three weeks, three weeks. I'm going to set all my traps in, in the same spots where I had, had them last year. And in three weeks, regardless of what I'm catching, I'm going to pull out. And I'm going to move to a completely different area. Because when I saw your dad do that, basically he had creamed off the crop of the martin where he is trapping initially. And I don't know if it was on purpose or by accident or just happened to be when he decided he was tired of walking out yeah. away to get his traps, he pulled everything and he moved in a completely different area that hadn't been trapped yet that yeah. season. And he had a whole new set of martin that were available to be caught. Yeah. And so he essentially, with a very small number of traps, he doubled his catch. Yeah. Just by moving them around. Yeah. So, so it's something you know, something to consider and think about when we're trapping. For sure. So you had you were pretty sitting pretty high at that time. Oh yeah. Um, you you had. <laughs> I was just like 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 uh, I just shaking my head like I felt 
so happy for you guys. But I also was like, they haven't seen really tough traffic. No, no. So tell us about last year. <laughs> yeah, last year. Uh, I basically doubled my traps, and my catch was cut in half. <laughs> so that was discouraging. Um, I bought a pickup, so I was on my own. And uh, I had 25 traps. I set those opening day, and it was really, really slow. The first few weeks was awful, awful slow. And it, it was getting discouraging because, you know, driving all this way, you know, twice a week, you know, being up on the weekends and, and on Wednesdays. And um, it was getting slow, and I was getting tired of it. I basically wanted to deer hunt and <laughs> and had to make myself go go check for empty traps. You knew that's the worst thing is when you know yeah at the beginning of the day, I know I'm not gonna catch anything. But you here. gotta go check them. Yep. Yeah. So I ended up uh, I ended up with five or six, I wanna say. Five or six last twice year. twice as many traps yeah. in five or six Martin. Yeah. Did you catch any fisher last year? I did. I caught two. Two. Uh, and another huge male. And uh, I haven't shown you the picture of that. It's pretty impressive. So I don't know. The white box. I, I painted my box white. And, Why'd you paint uh, your box white? Visible. For other trappers, too. Right. <laughs> I walk them off the road far enough. But, uh, yeah, when everything's brown and they... So this it, is one of your secrets here. Let's yeah, I just let it slip. So... Uh, Listen to this trapping today, audio listeners. Uh, this is a really interesting little secret here that Noah's letting us in on. Yeah, so... Where'd you learn this? Uh, it was you or Dad. <laughs> you saw a box once, I believe, that, that was white. And it, it kind of sparked the interest. It, yeah, vis just visual attractiveness. Yeah, and I've seen online that flagging tape at the, at the trap mm -hmm. site can bring them in. So we... And it, this seals your, your wood box. It protects it. So it lasts a lot longer anyway. So we painted them white in hopes that it would uh, it would be an attractant. And when everything's brown and everything's dead and there's just this big white box. With and then you s they smell something. Right, with skunk and, and rotten meat in like, it. What is that? And all of a sudden they look, it might be 100 yards away, but oh. They see it. It must be that. And they go in to check it out. And um, so I had this huge, huge fisher come up. There's actually a hardwood ridge coming. He came up from a, a swamp. And... Um, it was up on a log. It was probably three feet off the ground on, on a fallen tree. And I, I wired it right to that tree. And he, I mean, he stuffed himself into that four by four hole. I couldn't see, you know, any any bit of the inside of the trap. It was just, it was fur. <laughs> yeah. And it was awesome. Cut right behind the head, like yeah, right on the ears? directly behind the head. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I walking into this trap, it was kind of hardwood, so you can see a ways, so you can see my box from probably 50 yards, and I saw something black in it right from the nice. start. So, you knew. Yeah, oh, yeah. I sped up. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, that was a, it was a big male. Yeah. So that, the other thing that I've noticed last year, I, I, I struggled severely. As Cole said, Cole used that term last episode, struggled severely. And <laughs> I know the feeling. So... <laughs> I had uh, I was running 60 traps and and I was running half of like 30 of the 120s like you were running and 30 of the bigger ones which I, I've decided to to steer myself away from those because of the lower percentages uh, for various reasons but anyway you know I I only caught um, 
I caught eight Martin four or five Fisher. And what it does is when you're checking that many traps and you actually you go and go and go and don't catch anything and all of a sudden you make the catch, it just makes it that much more exciting. Yeah, you know, it, for sure. It really is. It, uh, it, it, the, it's a rush. It really is. So, oh, he's now showing me the picture. Wow. I can send that some of these to you and awesome. I'm on your website. Yeah, absolutely. Look at that. Jeez. The fisher the size of the, the box. The fisher body is the size of the box plus the tail. Yeah. And the box is 24 inches long. 30. Ours are 30. Is they're 30. Yeah. So they're 18. 18 no, to the trap and there's... They're 18 to the trap. Oh, they get it. Are they 12? Okay. 12 from the wow. trap back, yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's a big fisher. Yeah. You, you weigh it? I didn't weigh this one. No. So if you guys aren't familiar with, with where we're at with this, um, every other year is difficult and every other year is good. And that's because of the food availability. Where we live, we have a lot of hardwood trees that produce, the beech trees produce nuts that feed everything in the forest. And when the beech nuts are hot in high abundance, there's food everywhere, and the martin and fisher are hard to catch. Not only are they, eat, they eating nuts, they're eating the squirrels and the voles and everything else that eats the nuts. So last year, not only was it a high mast year with lots of food, it was like one of the highest we've seen in a long time, yeah. in like decades. So it was one of the lowest martin and fisher catches that yeah. we've seen. This year, we're not seeing a lot out there. Not seeing a beech nut, hardly. Haven't seen very many beech nuts or hazelnuts. Small berry crop. No berries to speak of. They're very, very far, few and far between. The apple trees aren't producing what they what they have been. So, by all accounts, we're gonna have a pretty good year. It's shaping up to me. Yeah. I don't want to jinx Unfortunately us. Unfortunately for you. Yeah, I'll have to be cutting back. This young man's going to school. Yeah. So, are you gonna trap Martin at all? I will. Yeah, uh, we get vacation for Thanksgiving, so I'll be up and I'll set for a week, week and a half, whatever I have. Maybe I'll come up, I'll set and and uh, miss a day and come up so I can extend my my season a little bit. So I'll set that week, and it's usually cold that week, which yep. helps the trapping out. Yeah, they get starts to get them moving a little bit. Yeah, get some moving. They need some food, so I'll see what I can do. Stick it out, you know, cut back and stick it out. Even if you can't trap full on, you can trap. Yep. That's all up traps and that's for sure. Yep. All right. Well, you trap for any other species, Noah? Uh, no. I've, I've water trapped a little bit. A little bit of water trapping. I haven't gotten into it. Yeah. So we got a young man that's that started out Martin trapping, Martin and Fisher trapping, and he, he just absolutely loves it and is hooked. Hooked, yeah. And everyone I've taken on my line is now trapping. Really? Yeah, my friends, my brothers, you know, well, Nick isn't, but Matt's starting this year, so. Yeah. Building in boxes right now, actually. That's exciting. Yeah. So, all of you guys out there that say trapping's dead, not yet. Not, not up yet. here. Yeah. <laughs> We're keeping it going. All right, Noah, well, thanks a lot for being here. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you, you're not... Uh, you know, you're not used to being on podcast no, episodes or anything, no. so thank you for uh, having me. It was great to talk trapping, and, and excited to hear from you in the future on on how you progress as a trapper. For sure.
right, guys, thanks for tuning in, and be sure to check out Cots Brothers Lures, the sponsor of the Trapping Day podcast, keeping episodes headed your way. If you want to contact me with any questions that you have for me or Noah, that's jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Questions, comments, criticism, you can send the criticism to Noah, that'd be fine. But uh, anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on the Trapping Today podcast.